on to episode three. I feel like this is a great milestone, three episodes in that we're we're actually moving here. So thanks again for hanging with us. Uh, episode three, I know I said last one was a special one, but this one is even, even more special. We have uh, Liz Berry, our incredible mom on, uh, and we really hope that uh, surely um, in the future that we get to, to speak to Tim, our dad, and Megan, our awesome sister. Um, our family, as I mentioned before, is super close. We all play our very individual parts in this story and all have different recollections, um, but but they all culminate in the same thing. We're, we're all learning together. So mom being a huge uh, influence and part of Chris's story was definitely somebody that was important for us to have on. Um, she has great perspective. She's worked with so many individuals and families to try and assist in helping to recover uh, some of the some of the friends and, and family members that are addicted uh, or struggling. And she's just an insanely unbelievable human being. So having her on is special. Um, as I mentioned, we're going to go through um, really just early days for her growing up, uh, her take on alcoholism and addiction from um, her younger years as a kid, and then her influence um, actually working in the medical field for a bit, and how that really informed actually the story um, when Chris started to go through what he did. She was the the first person uh, and the one who had to shoulder him finally coming out and saying he was an addict, as you heard in the first story. Uh, and then she gets to weigh in on her side of the story. I know there were so many moments that Chris shared and that I shared that were seen through our perspectives. And it's really interesting to hear her be able to speak about what she remembers as well. We also then go into the importance of love and trust in the way we help and manage those that are struggling in our lives, super important, as well as enablement and, and the danger that that can play in you trying to recover a loved one. Uh, and then, you know, response and, and how to move forward is the greatest and most important thing for us to continue to talk about. You're gonna hear us say things over and over and over again, but we, we dive into really the, the steps to take and the things that you need to make sure you check the boxes on in, in order for um, you and your family to move the needle. Uh, it's a joint effort, it's a family disease. You're gonna hear us say that many more times, but we are super proud to have you meet our mom. Can't wait to have her on uh, more than once and uh, welcome. And without further ado, our incredible mom, Liz. special guest Hello. Uh, for this recording of the podcast, probably the most special guest, Aww. Mama B. Hello. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. We're not sure what we're doing quite yet, but we figured, um, you know, at some point that it would be important to bring you on, um, obviously with your role in all of this. Uh, and we've mentioned you a number of times, as you've heard too, you've been I listening have. in. So, mm-hmm. um, we had an opportunity, and we had a night that we could all get together, so we wanted to, to bring you on. So welcome to the Faded Podcast. Thank officially. you so much. <laughs> Glad to be here. We're very excited to have you. So I think today, um, and just as a reminder of what we're trying to do, um, we've told Chris's story. We've given a little bit of insight on addiction and the 12 steps and just basic insights on recovery. So 
would love to hear your perspective uh, as a parent. And obviously you played one of the most integral roles, probably right next to Chris in this story. So uh, I'm just going to guide it. And then whatever you feel like sharing, I think will be good. I assume that this will not be the last time that you're on. So we have plenty of time to share everything. I think uh, let's keep it to basics tonight. Uh, I would love to know to start things off. Uh, what was your, you know, growing up and, and just the way that you came into, um, life and being a parent, what was your perspective? What was your, um, interaction, if anything, with addiction and alcoholism and what was your perception of it beforehand? Like, how did you grow up before all of this, before all of us? How did you grow up? What did you think about addiction? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Um, I grew up in a blue collar family in, in Massachusetts. Um, I believe there was, well, it's an interesting thing. <laughs> all of the, in those days, pretty much all parents drank. There were block parties and parties and, there, you know, I, I always knew that Adults drank. When they became adults, you drank. <laughs> um, and it's funny, everybody smoked in those days, too, because Hollywood was, you know, it was glamorous to do so. Um, little by little, that started fading away. When I got into about probably sixth grade, they had the program D.A.R.E., Oh yeah, uh, which came out strong because growing up in the 60s, as you can imagine, um, hippies, drugs, peace, not war, um, drugs were rampant. So they came to the schools and they would show us what marijuana was, which we called dope, which is now called, that's now cocaine. All the words have changed, but, uh, but all of the, it was cocaine and heroin and, and pot, weed, dope, whatever you wanted to call it. Um, cocaine, uh, and, and they did, they, they would, it would, there was another program called scared straight. Um, that was probably more in the seventies, but this, these were programs in school that made you aware of it. Um, you'd see things on TV, but in my neighborhood and growing up, I, I was never aware of any drugs, yeah. um, or anybody doing drugs. If occasionally you'd find kids trying to steal a beer or two and, run out and, you know, behind a, a, a barn or a garage and, you know, be drinking that. I'm sure in the, in the neighborhood of 80-something children, uh, we were fortunate enough to have great friends and play friends, playmates, but that's a lot of kids. So I'm sure stuff happened that yeah. I wasn't aware of. Um, I was made aware uh, of, but I had a few uncles that were severe alcoholics, um, we didn't really talk about it as a family, but we knew it was there. It ran uh, at, when dad and I got married. We, we knew that both sets of parents had alcoholism on both sets. So I don't know if you guys ever remember me talking about it when you were coming of age to drink, but I would always say, remember, you have alcoholism in the, in the family. It can catch you. I didn't have a lot of information on it other than we have alcoholism in the family. <laughs> I remember that probably college years. 
Yeah. Well, I have a horrible because, memory anyways, but I no, don't know if I remember well, that before that's though. probably right because I probably didn't want to talk to you about it before you were old enough. But I know I did have some conversations, kind yeah. of snuck them in here and there, trying to plant some seeds. Um, well, I also know that when you were growing up and even when we were growing up, the stigma behind addiction and alcoholism was almost like we don't talk about it. Not us, not our family, but society in general. We don't talk about it because a lot of people were embarrassed by the idea of, yes. of addiction and alcoholism. So um, it's it's interesting. I mean, was that your... The dirty, <laughs> the dirty little family secret yeah. was what it was. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, pretty much every family had it, mm-hmm. a little dirty secret that nobody wanted to talk about. Interesting. And that actually, I mean, it stems into now too. I, I feel like that's... Well, that's why we're here. That's why we're here, mm-hmm. is to continue to make light of it and make it so, as much less taboo as we can, right. because it's still the dirty little secret in a lot of ways. So. It's interesting though, because uh, somebody that was an alcoholic was not as bad as a drug addict. Drug addict was the dregs of the earth. They mm-hmm. were like, they were considered the worst people, like... Uh, like I guess that's kind of what I was, when Chris finally told me, I was like, no, this, no. Yeah. Like I instantly knew, I instantly knew at that moment that drug addicts weren't bad people because you weren't a bad person. I looked at it completely differently from that moment. That was the defining moment that I realized that people that were caught in, and I didn't even know that much about addiction, but I realized, Hey, this is my son. And I know what a good guy he is. I know what a loving person he is. This, you know, he's caught in something here and addicts. I've, as I've come to know them, aren't, haven't been that way. Isn't that interesting? I I agree with you. I never thought about it until just now. I think you're right alcoholics you almost look at as just oh you're kind of a mess yep drug addicts in general people think of as criminal scary scary. like automatically you go to that really dark like heavy place very dark why don't we do that with alcoholism is essentially because maybe the the detox and the withdrawals from alcoholism is is worse than any other drug on the planet other than benzodiazepines hmm. like it's the most dangerous withdrawal and detox that you could possibly have hmm. but it's legal and right. so right that's maybe true. that's why maybe that's why we think that way you know well i mean portugal made all drugs legal they completely everything yeah everything it's it's all legal just because they basically just said let's just try to help people as opposed to lock them up and from what I've read about in, in researched um, addiction, actually percentages have gone down in terms of the amount of people that are, because it's really, help. it's really interesting. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. And the, we've talked about this before, but the, you know, legal drinking age being 21 and it was 18 in your time. And were you, yeah, you my, crossed I over, my, right? <laughs> I no, dad was legal. Then he was not legal. He okay. was legal. <laughs> no way. And then he was not legal in college. Right. I was because I had gotten cut, uh, kept back from an illness um, when I was younger in school. I turned 18 first day of senior year in high school. 
And I was everybody's You're best hero. friend. Yeah. I was everybody's best friend. But um, I think, I think going back to real quick, going back to what you said about like, I've, I never heard you say it before. You said you always thought that in, in society, always thought that drugs were worse than, than alcohol. And uh, if you're a drug addict, you're clearly a darker person or worse person than an alcoholic is um, spiritually uh, or mentally, whatever. And when you realize that I was a drug addict, I've never heard you say that that's when you realized that drug addicts weren't bad people. I just thought of it right now. I never even yeah, thought about insane. it. That's insane. That's yeah. insane. And, and it's, uh, it's cool to hear because you're, you're, when you're finally affected by it in your own family, I think yeah. so many people have probably had that exact same feeling. And that kind of ties into the idea that it's important for everyone who's listening to understand is that uh, people don't have the power of choice in whether they get drunk or high. I didn't wake up when I was 15 years old and go, you know what? By 19, I want to be a full-blown heroin addict. Right. I have to look my right. mom in the eyes and tell her that I'm a heroin addict. Yeah. You know, and, and it's cool because <clears throat> I think that's probably when you didn't even know it, but you knew that addiction was probably something way bigger than any of us ever really understood mm -hmm. because there wasn't as much awareness. Well, you know, that moment that you told me, um, going back to the story you told about staying over and, um, Get, get into that story, actually. I'm just We told that briefly from our perspective, I think, earlier that in the day? podcast. Yeah, the day that he told you. I would love to hear from you. What what was your day like and kind of what and, – and you've shed more light since we that day was that, that day was life-changing in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, Dad had just gotten on a plane um, and to go work. Uh, you, of course, were out of the house. Megan was in school. And Chris was actually – had been living in an apartment that we co-signed for. Mm -hmm. um, parents don't co-sign – don't co-sign leases. <laughs> Three weeks in the apartment, and we were paying for it after that for a long time. But oh um, really? he, uh, as you remember, Jackie, we were watching a show all together, Biggest Loser or something, as a family. Oh, right. And Chris came in that night, and yeah. he was wrapped up in a blanket, and he was you know, like, he. Anyways, he had something on his mind, and and I think he was trying to detox. I don't know um, if if he remembers clearly, but. Um, we didn't know. And, but you knew something that you, you, there were so many before. red flags for months. And I, the in, biggest enabler in the family would say, Oh, he's just going through something or no, you know, and you know, dad would ask questions or find something. And he said, and he would say, no, something's going on. Something's going on. Um, we can go back to that huge enabler part. Uh, but this particular night, um, Chris, we were all watching TV and Chris came in and he was on one of the round chairs and he had a blanket wrapped up and he was pretty much hiding in the blanket. And I remember you, Jackie, looking at me going like, what the heck? What is wrong with him? And you you left that night to go home and dad went to bed and Chris told me that he his bank account had uh, been basically drained and he didn't know where the money went. And it was money, it was like four or $500 that he and his friends were um, painting outside of the pergola outside. And, um, and it was gone. 
And I'm like, what do you mean it was gone? And that's the conversation. That was what, how he left me to go to bed that night. Course, Classic. Of course, you know, kids don't realize that moms in particular worry about every detail of every part of their lives. So now here's money that, you know, the red flags, he's acting weird. I asked him to stay the night. He said, gladly, he said, yes. So we're, I woke up about three o'clock in the morning and I said, how could his bank account be drained? So we shared the account. So I went in and I saw for sure that the money was gone. Um, and then things just start, things just didn't add up. I tried to go to sleep. Um, woke up in the morning. I, part of the story that you didn't mention and you probably didn't either know or remember was, um, I had an 11 o'clock appointment because I had a bad mammogram. Mm. And so I'm now got this on my mind. I've got my bad mammogram. I've got to go get checked out. And I've, I have a son that had this money that it's gone and he's acting odd. Dad left, you left. And I hear Chris in the shower and I'm upstairs in the bonus room at the computer, still looking at the account and trying to figure it out. And he came up after the shower and his, he was pouring down sweat. Like I've never seen him sweat. And it was warm upstairs, but I looked at him and I said, and we started talking about the bank account. I turned around, I asked him the question before I turned around, said about this bank account. And I turned around and he was completely sweating profusely. So I, I realized something was not right. And so I said, let's go downstairs and talk about this. And we started talking about the bank account and I had a flashback. My degree was in, um, social rehabilitation and I had a minor in psychology and, and I did internships in, um, at, in uh, Worcester state hospital, which is one of the uh, oldest mental institutions in the country at the time. I think it's still there, but, um, and I did that in recreational therapy and occupational therapy, all this to tell you that some of the patients that we were working with were drug addicts that were sent there to detox. And I saw detox and I remember saying to myself, I pray to God, I never know anybody in my life that I know or love in love, go through that. And I suddenly realized that is the same face as that patient from when I was 20 years old. Really? And then that's when I said, I need to get this story. And I just kept sitting there. I said, Chris, he was sitting and he looked down and it must've been, you said it was pretty fast. It was at least 20 minutes of me saying, I think I remember you saying like, you can tell me, anything. you can tell yeah. me anything. Yeah. I will not get angry. I will not get emotional. You can tell me, I, I thought it might be gambling too, mm -hmm. because the money was gone. I didn't, right. didn't go to the drugs. My, my mind, my mind was not letting me go to the drugs, although I was seeing it flashing yeah. in front of me. And I would just say, Chris, tell me what is it? I cannot help you until you tell me what it is. And that went on for 20 minutes and he was silent. And then he finally just looked at me and said, I'm addicted to pills. I, I thought you said Oxycontin. it was, I, I thought it was Vicodin, but Oxycontin and, 
And uh, you said Oxycontin. I thought you said Vicodin too from the... Didn't want to drop the heroin ball. No, no. Were you doing heroin then? Yeah. Oh, God. See, these are things that you find out. But so anyways, uh, I went into survival mode. I believe I hugged you. You looked at me and you said, "We got." please this. forgive me for a second because I'm in shock. But we're going to figure out what we need to do to, you know... Fix this. And I said, you have to trust me mm-hmm. and you have to stay here. And I said, I've got a doctor's appointment I have to go to. And uh, I said, please go out and keep painting. Long story short, I went by the grace of God. I had a good mam- mammogram um, to come home to because I don't know if I could have handled both mm-hmm. sets of information because my mind was a mess at that point. I was trying to, you know, I, what do I do? Where do I go? Who do I call? Do I call somebody? Um, so my my knee-jerk reaction was when I got home was I checked on Chris. He came running in, you know, who'd you talk to? How you doing? He, you know, he was probably strung out. Um, and I said, I need some time on the computer to to look up some people and places. And I immediately went on and looked up rehab places and all these places that, like, I don't know, there's 1-800 numbers for everything. And every, I swear, every five minutes, Chris came in and was at the bottom of the stairs trying to listen on the phone. And I said, Chris, go back outside. I mean, he just, I didn't, now knowing what he was going through, I didn't understand at the time how nervous and that nervous energy um, Mm -hmm. of probably detoxing was. So um, we got, I got on the phone with with a place in, in Greensboro and they said, well, we don't know if he needs inpatient or outpatient. I don't know the extent. Well, Chris had told me was probably 10% of what he needed to tell me. It was just enough for me to get him, get some, get some help. But I would say to the families out there, um, love your, love your loved ones through this, like be gentle, become no, know that they are human beings that really are unhappy with themselves and dislike what they've done and, and be kind and be firm, but be loving and find them help. Because if they can't trust you there, who do they trust? You know, they, that family link is massive. Is that mm-hmm. true? Oh yeah. Family, friend, whoever family, is, is whoever it is. Friend, anybody. We had that long conversation um, earlier about love and showing love first as the first step, essentially, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that is a great testament of that. And take the emotion out of it. Take a- anger out. has no place if 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 somebody came home and said. I have cancer. If I had come home and said I have cancer to Chris and he got angry with me, how would that how would that help me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if Chris had told me I've got I've got cancer, I've got something diabetes, diabetes. It's, 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 yeah, it's, 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 it's the exact same thing. If I'm disease. depressed, if I'm anything, like it's the only thing we tend to get angry with when it with addiction is because it's embarrassing too difficult for people it, to understand and people don't too. understand um and normally with addiction comes stealing and lying and manipulation and you yeah. know it causes a lot of defects of character um well and those you, defects of character are actually what causes 
mm-hmm. addiction, but drug addicts and alcoholics don't really know that until they get into the healing process. And I have to say clearly, um, Chris wasn't the, the cookie cutter addict as it is to a parent because Chris has always been charming and loving and funny. And with all those traits, a biggest hugger still is one of the biggest huggers, but I have friends that had their children that would be horrible to them, screaming, lying, kicking, fighting, cheating, all of it. He was able to manipulate and steal and lie lovingly, which is really an odd thing. And that's why he fooled me so much. And like he just, it's just not his personality. Yeah. So people out there that may, may be listening to this, you, if you have a loved one, and particularly a teenager, um, it's just if you see red flags and, and they're still being good, don't take your eye off of it. So question for you then. I mean, if, if you started drinking at 13-ish, we, around there, whatever, that blows my mind. Dude, blows my mind. What did did you see anything? No, and I mean nothing. Like there are no red flags. You you say you you kind of flushed back. Now, I can but. smell. I can know what pot smells like. Yeah. I know what alcohol smells like. I know. I mean, like I know the eyes. I know the attitude. It blows my mind that the only thing I can think of that that I would change from a parent's perspective is I would really cut, cut back on sleepovers for people in those ages be in like mm. sleepovers had become huge. Like when I was a kid, it was once or twice a year or maybe out in a tent or something like we just didn't go and do that. And it is like a big thing. I remember all you guys would go and you know, and when you, and when you mentioned like, you can see it in your eyes. You can smell it. I was like, my whole thing about getting high and drunk when I was just smoking weed and drinking before the quote unquote heavier drugs or whatever. Um, I didn't do it to be like cool or, or show other people anything, or I never even wanted to talk about it. I did it because I loved the effect produced. So I used a shitload of clear eyes, which is what you use in your eyes when you smoke weed. It makes your eyes very, very clear. So you would have never seen my eyes from smoking weed, ever. I would smoke a blunt on the way home and you change my clothes, put clear eyes in my eyes so they go from red to white, and then walk in the door and look you right in the eyes. And and I would look perfectly normal. And when I would drink at home, I would drink as much as I could as quickly as possible vodka specifically because it gets you drunk quicker and then i would go brush my teeth use mouthwash brush my teeth use mouthwash and then brush my teeth again and then walk in the room and i would be very sure to not like breathe in your face when i was talking to you like it was very methodical and thought out it's a yeah. Lot. yeah it is a lot <laughs> yeah well it's hard it's, it's a lot to hide it's yeah. a lot to hide it is and i can think of what your mind must have been going through with having to keep all these details going too but so, 
So, so no red flags before then, though. Um, I mean, I mean the, no, no, not before that. I mean, you know, he had he was ADD. Mm-hmm. I was ADD. I mean, yeah. like, you know, we we kind of went through that with some trying to get him on some meds to help that, but. Um, you know, and that even angers me if I think back on that because we had uh, a doctor's assistant tell us that Adderall was fine and that it was not addictive. It's one chemical away from methamphetamine, but it, I knew I knew what Adderall did, and I wanted to get on. You knew at oh, the time. Yeah. Oh yeah, I wanted it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the only thing I can say is being a typical teenager. Right. If he was not in a good mood, like you know, I. He could he could mask it that way, like oh, I had a crappy day, yeah. or the teacher did that, or whatever, and he would just blow right by me and go into his room. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the few times, and we've talked about it a little bit, but the few times that he smoked weed, got in trouble on when we were all together on the yeah. road, those you you almost chalk that up as he's in high school, he's oh, smoking we weed. totally did, you know. Totally and so did. I think that those would be those aren't necessarily red flags. It's kind of just you oh, know. I mean, Totally did testing and seeing seeing what happens. So, uh, so when when that moment happened, when he said that to you, yeah, you are always very much in control, and no surprise that you were able to handle that and kind of channel yourself to be able to do that. But what was your actual? Did, did you do you remember your actual immediate reaction to that? You obviously believed it. Oh, I totally believed it. Why did you believe it? I'm I'm curious because, about that because, because if you didn't have red flags. No, the red flags were were uh, for that moment. Not when when you were talking about red flags before when he was younger coming into the house okay. and drinking. The red there were lots of red flags. It was you know I remember the went to the golf course and you had made a whole bunch of money, and you were you actually showed it to somebody and we were playing golf and you lost you said you lost your wallet on the golf course which was another way of trying to get us to give you money um yeah and you lost the money there evidently and there were a lot of like dad would 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 coin the phrase he is either he is the most unlucky kid in the world (laughs) or he's fooling us right so there he's were, the, yeah, he's the logical <laughs> and I'm the emotional, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I knew right away. Um, okay, so it was, I want to say it was like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. There was like two or three days that I didn't tell anybody. Chris and I were the only ones that knew. And mm-hmm. I, because I had to keep working at this, I had to find a solution and was it that day was it that very afternoon or was it was it the next day that that's true that no that we brought you to the counselor yeah i went and saw some counselor and the very next day yeah it was like the end of the day and that's when um this guy had 30 40 years of experience with this and uh he interviewed me first um and then Chris went in and he told me to go. It was the end of the day. So there was nobody else in the office. And he told me to go, why don't you go shopping? This is going to take a while. Well, mm-hmm. I just stayed outside in the office praying and scratching my head like, how did I get here? How did we get here? There's a lot of guilt, tremendous amount of guilt. Uh, but I didn't let myself go there because um, 
I needed to, I needed to think clearly what I had to do. We went to this counselor and he came back out and I heard Chris come back out and he was, he said, go call your mom. So I was out in the lobby. And so the guy was, didn't expect me to be back for about 15 minutes or so because he thought I was up the street and I walked in and he was on the phone and his back to us was, and he said, um, so you do have a bed. And that's the moment my heart sank because this then became very, very real. He's going somewhere. Yeah, to go to rehab. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this was not going to be an outpatient thing. And um, this counselor turned around and said, oh, okay, uh, Chris, tell your mom what we talked about. And Chris immediately said, you know, I, this counselor thinks I need to go to rehab. Um, he said, but if you don't have the money, but if insurance doesn't cover it, then, you know, and I said, no, 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 no. I said, wait, mm-hmm. I said, it's not an issue. Insurance will cover it. Yeah. He was still luckily under our insurance. And I said, where, when, like what? What's going on? Like, give, give me all the details. <laughs> and basically in a nutshell, it was, he needs to be there by 11 o'clock in the morning. It's in Greensboro and he's going to be gone for 30 days. And, um, you know, this is good and he's willing, he's willing to do it. And so I was, wow. Okay. So, you know, I talked with the rehab place, um, to make sure we set it up again. Dad knows nothing. You know, nothing. Mm -hmm. Megan knows nobody knows anything. Our whole conversation on the way home was, it was calm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I said, well, this is what they said you need. You need, these things, you cannot bring these things, you know, we talked about it, you know, I'm proud of you that you're doing this. It's, you know, let's get this behind you, you know, being his cheerleader. And as we um, pull up to the house, he starts to tell me about this girl that he had planned to bring out for pizza. And, you know, he wanted to say goodbye to her and, you know, but you know, he didn't have any money to do that. And, you know, I'm like, hmm. oh, that's so sweet. Like, he just so <laughs> fooled me. Like, I still was like, right? Hot off the press. Hot like, off. literally hot off the press. Yeah. He's like, I need to go home. I need to pack the bag and the whole thing. And then I'll meet you here in the morning. And I said, well, what do you need? Like, what's a, a pizza and some soda? You know, <laughs> I'm like wow. 20 bucks. <laughs> Aunt true story. I had no idea that was even a real thing. Did you remember that? No. Well, well, evidently, obviously, people out there listening, there was no girl and there was no pizza and there was no soft drink. I literally just was like, what what was I seeing at that point? No, no, it was... Knowing what I know now, I I actually don't mind that because I didn't know at what point that he was in his detox. So I didn't want him. I did. It got me through to the next it day. It got him through to the next day, even though I didn't know it. And so I would say that's the one and only time that enablement is okay is getting them to the point that they are, can handle going away or rehab or whatever it is. So how overwhelming is all of that? I can't even imagine. The next day was horrific. Uh, he showed up right on time, smile on his face, said, we got this. We drove. He called Megan, told her. She cried. Um, didn't want to call you because you were working. You're yeah. a professional. 
dad was in a really difficult set of meetings for that week. Didn't want to burden mm-hmm. him. And we drove, we went, we checked him in, spent two hours, um, said our goodbyes. I walked out of the place and my bottom felt, fell out. I mm-hmm. completely thought I was going to vomit. Mm-hmm. I couldn't breathe. I, I mean, I could cry right now. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, he was safe. I don't know if I was crying because he was safe or that I was free to cry. There was so many things going on. I couldn't, I don't even know how I got home. I drove an hour and a half. Uh, That's when I called you. I was crying so hard. I couldn't see the road. And it was just all the letdown of two to three days of holding this in. Yeah. And the only thing I can tell you is, the night, that night when I was alone at home, my sister, who was a teacher, called me to say, uh, just to let her know how things were going. It was her teacher work night. She had no voice, laryngitis from all uh, just starting school. That's right. This was the beginning of September. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. And you were enrolled in in the community school. I remember that. Here. In Raleigh. Right. So we had to get you out of that too. Now it's, and it's coming back now. Um, but my sister said, what's wrong? And I said, I have never been so lonely in my entire life as right now. And she said, what is wrong? And I couldn't say, and I don't know how she drove that fast to get to me, but she came running in and she just looked at me and said, what? And I just said, it's Chris said, he's a drug addict. And I just dropped him off in rehab and I just burst in tears and she burst in tears. Yeah. No, sorry. It was the night before I bringing him to rehab because she said, let me go with you. I'll take a day off. And I said, no, I need to do this. I just need the time with Chris. So that was, the first person I spoke to about it. And it was just other than you on the phone on the ride home. No, that's the right. No, Mary Ellen knew. No, yeah. Mary Ellen was, I'm mixing it up. I'm sorry. No, no. It was it's, all a blur. I bet. Yeah. Cause I met you. You met me in the As garage. you drove in um, and dad was in his office. Yeah. No, that was crazy too. And interestingly enough, I was so afraid that what of dad's, I had no idea what dad's reaction was going to be. I was spent. I mean, it was like 5.30 maybe by yeah. the time I met you and you were hiding in the garage because you didn't want dad to see you. I'm sitting on the stair. Yeah, I came in and I think I pretended I was returning a pair of shoes or something and I had my sunglasses on and... I was crying. Yeah, I cried. I was crying. He was um, in the zone working. He had no idea. He had no idea. And I I had so many questions and I, I figured it would be best. I gave him a very quick hug. I had my sunglasses on. I continued through the house, said I was putting the shoes down and I just went into the garage and sat on the stairs and waited. And then I received you and then I left. And by the way, everybody out there, we are a very huggy family. Yes. Yes, so a quick hug would be a red flag. So, um, so dad came in and, and looked at us and we were kind of like, we got to tell you something in, in his typical, really cool fashion in a good way. Um, he's very logical and he yes. thinks things through before her, he reacts. And he said, well, 
that explains a, a lot. Yeah. And, and then he said, you know, I'm actually glad he's in rehab. Yeah. And we both slap, we both had that feeling of he was safe at last. And we knew we weren't going to be able to speak to him for a week. Mm-hmm. So we were going to be able to have a week to really think this through and talk about it and talk about going to family counseling at the program that they had that family program, which was so necessary for us to go to was a mm-hmm. four day program um, at his rehab. And it really gave us so much insight um, to move forward and to stop enabling. Although that didn't happen. That doesn't happen overnight. And boy, that's when I speak with families, that's one of the thing I, things I try to speed up. But so to finish that night, um, it didn't quite end that way. Um, I could have gone to bed in sound asleep by eight o'clock because we were just that spent, but we stayed up till midnight talking about mm-hmm. it. And as I went to bed, the, the true picture of good and evil um, showed up in my house. The good of the, and I have many stories before this of where God, I'm very spiritual and we're, and mm-hmm. God absolutely had his, had his hands all over Chris and me and our family and still does. But this one moment um, I walked through and it was midnight and I was looking out the window, closing the lights barefoot. And I, something told me to look down and there was an adult copperhead snake stretched out mm. across the 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 kitchen floor and I almost stepped on it and, and you hate snakes yeah I despise Mr. No Shoulders I don't <laughs> like snakes and um it was just it was it I couldn't take any more I screamed we got it out of the house it was a whole crazy circus of running around and feeling unsafe and just the whole visual of a snake reminds me of Satan and and good and evil you know it was just like I couldn't take anymore yeah I didn't realize that was that night it was that night of all nights and um woke up the next morning a mess Mm -hmm. and got a phone call from Chris's counselor that he wanted to talk I was like I thought we couldn't talk he says yes but he wants to come home hmm and I said but I didn't think he could come home and he goes what's up to him so we Got on the, he got angry. He was probably detoxing. Oh, hard. Do you remember this? Yeah, they didn't provide any, like, detox medicine either. So you have to go through it cold turkey. You got to go through it. And and I remember you explaining to me what seeing somebody else going through it, a woman next to you mm-hmm. or in there, and it was horrific. And I said, I'm not, you can't come home. And he, he, he said, come get me. And I said, I'm not coming to get you. This is my first empowerment of not enabling. Um... So it was, this was my, my journey to start. And I said, no. And I said, if you're going to go out, you're going to have to thumb or whatever, but you, you know, you, you're not coming back here. You need this. You got this. You can do it. And evidently it worked because he stayed and uh, that was that. I'm sure the picture you're painting was super dramatic. Dark. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Awful. So question for you, when you came around to the moment you told mom about the pills, did you, 
I may have asked you this before, but I can't remember what the answer is. Did you plan to reveal that? No. Did you have any inkling inside of you that wanted to say that? No. Or did that truly come out in the moment? It came out of the moment, but in hindsight, like, you know, looking back on it or whatever, it's, I was getting tired. Yeah. Like I was getting tired of the daily grind of having to get the drugs and do them and then go through withdrawals and then deal with daily responsibilities. I'm not a very resourceful drug addict, so I don't last very long. Mm -hmm. Um, So I knew that I was getting very desperate and tired of dealing with all that stuff, but I didn't have any plans of telling her. Hmm. It's interesting. I'm just wondering where, where you get to the point. I mean, it's every story is sort of the same, but sort of different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it depends. We've talked a lot about it going back to family and showing love and, and making sure there's a platform for him to say something to you when he's, when he's ready, Mm -hmm. if he's, hopefully if he's ready at some point. Um, but it's just, it's just interesting to me that it just all came to a head and it just happened. And I don't know that that's probably the case for every story. Um, and so I think that the questions about red flags and trying to hone in on like what, what brought that moment to be, um, was just kind of, it just, it's just the timing, the timing right? and mm-hmm. just, and I didn't that, go over there and say like, oh, I think I may tell her, I mean, I didn't want to tell her Yeah. now that looking back on it, I remember because I remember her telling me like 30 times, like you can tell me anything you want to tell me right now and yeah. I'm not going to react. And I remember, I think I was finally like, fine, I'll tell her, like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Like, waterboarding I was gonna I was going to get I was going to get it out of him one way or another and I was not going to leave that room because you knew when you saw that face I knew something was really wrong and he was not the same and it all like it was all starting to add up the red flag started to bop all over Mm -hmm. the place and I knew I I said uh, this is We've always had a really oh, pretty good relationship, very good, very relationship. good relationship, talking with one another. And um, so I wasn't going to, I just wasn't going to let him go. Did that contribute? Do you think your relationship and that being fostered throughout him growing up and you growing up, did that contribute to the moment where you were able to say something? If you hadn't had that relationship, do you think the story plays out the same? Might be a loaded question, but that I'm just super curious because I would like to think that that's a huge part of it. I would think if we did not have a good relationship, trust is the biggest, it's hard to trust a liar and a manipulator. Mm -hmm. But I was asking him to trust me mm-hmm. to help him. I wasn't putting it on him. And I guess I didn't think about that until just now. I wasn't putting it back on him. Right. And you weren't making it about you. Right. Which is what a lot of people do in not even just addiction and, and problems, but what it's taught me is like if you're in a relationship and you're arguing or if you're 
in any scenario in life, if somebody approaches you with an issue that they are having, mm-hmm. our job isn't as people to love one another, isn't to react by, oh, look how you're affecting me right. out of this situation. It's, wow, you're approaching me with a problem. How do I help you? Mm-hmm. And she always took an altruistic approach with everything in life with me. And when she made me feel secure enough to talk to her because she was like, you need to tell me because this is about you as opposed to me disappointing her. It makes it a lot easier. No one wants to disappoint their parents. No, or anyone or anyone. And, and you know, I mean, I've been in other situations other than just drug addiction where, you know, I was, I was dealing with personal problems and, and, felt scared to approach people about it because it's a normal human feeling. Exactly. And I, maybe if, so I think the key here is that the response to that moment, regardless of where your relationship is with somebody is critical. Very. So if you hadn't had a great relationship, maybe your response would have been a bit more harsh. You would have maybe been inclined to be upset, be mad regardless of whatever scenario people are going through out there, if somebody is coming to you and saying, I am an addict or I drink too much or something is wrong, something's off, we have to treat it not about us, to your point, as receiving, um, receiving something from that person that is saying in some way, shape or form, I trust you, I'm coming to you with this. And the response is, okay, set aside our own feelings, thoughts, mm-hmm. egos, and help them. Absolutely. <laughs> like, Absolutely. I mean, it's again, it's, it's a disease. There should be no shame blaming. Right. So Chris, if I had said, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. What? Oh my, you know, the family, the, you know, right. this is going to cost us your school. I mean, there's so many ways that, that I could have shame blamed. Yeah. And that's why the worst thing you could ever say to a drug addict is if you loved me or if you loved your son or if you loved your your family, you would quit. It's the most heartbreaking thing you could ever do to somebody. And that's the same thing as acting disappointed. If you're going to act disappointed at somebody for being a drug addict or an alcoholic, then, you know, you should really look in the mirror and, and and. try to understand that you're getting upset with somebody for having the same type of disease as cancer. And I think on the flip side, it is just as important to take that moment as seriously as possible. Oh, because I think absolutely on the same note of responding the wrong way to that. If you were to coddle in that moment and say, you're going to be okay, or let me help you here. Let's go. Whatever, whatever response is not, I'm going to go find you help mm-hmm. is going to hurt them. Yep. And so it, that's another thing that I've learned a ton is it's not just about showing love, which we talked about last time a lot, show love first, set aside your ego, show love and then help them versus, mm-hmm. Oh, it's okay. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Let's just go to the movies. Here's some but money. Like timing <laughs> is a, is of the essence there's so many people that you and I have talked to mm-hmm. that they had their person ready to go and and for whatever reason that they 
they didn't act fast. It's they a didn't, small window you know. of opportunity with drug addicts. Yeah, it is, and and usually it's a lot of times it's a mom. Most of the time, it's probably a mom. Well, you've seen it. I mean, you've helped hundreds of families, so mm-hmm. it's like, and it's an enablement, and you know, it just it's so hard to to fast track and to see through what's what is what we're trying to do is with this is help people understand on a faster pace than what they may normally go through. We didn't have any resources. Right. So this is why we're doing this to teach people how to, what to do, what to look for, all of that. Yeah. It's for people who both have dealt with somebody who's struggled with drugs on and off for a long time and you can't understand addiction. And it's also for the mom or the son who finds out about their parent or, you know, the spouse who just found out today that they have a family member that is a drug addict or an alcoholic and has no idea where to turn. Right. So when you, okay. So he tells you he's an addict, you take it seriously, you know, it's real. Yeah. What did you do? Like, how do you, where do you start? I went to the internet. That's the only place I could go. I mean, I, you know, it's a great resource, but there's also a lot of not great places out there. So it's just like, I prayed about it. I, I went to the same state and we live in a big state. So an hour and a half away is, was the only place that I could find that went It had good reviews. Yeah. And they they gave me the name of this counselor to talk to first in Raleigh. So what did you Google? Rehab? How do you you're, oh, you boy. know you knew nothing? You had no resources, and it's not drug really, abuse rehab. Yeah. Um, I just started googling Somebody it. Somebody help. Yeah, please. yeah. I mean, it just all started coming out. There were a lot of eight hundred numbers for like Florida and all different. It was very overwhelming to know where to go. Um, I. Honestly, I just feel like God led me like just, okay, I've got this one place that's got good reviews. Um, I know nobody else that has been through this. Yeah. Um, and then this counselor had great reviews. And he you was know what's older. crazy? You said you don't know anyone else who had been through this. That's the problem <laughs> is, you know, a lot in that moment, you knew a lot of people that have been through this. Right. They just weren't open about it. Yeah. 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 And it's not their fault, but that's right. the whole thing about awareness and being right. honest. I mean, I tell every single person that I meet that I was a heroin addict. And the reason why I do it is not to say, look at me, I'm sober and you should right. be proud of who I am. <laughs> I want them to know that I used to be a heroin addict and an alcoholic and I am there to help them right. because I guarantee that they have been affected some way, shape, or form with addiction, or they will be affected by it. That's really funny um, because I'm the same exact way when I meet people. I've been in groups of people, and especially it's actually kind of funny when I'm 62, um, I golf with some ladies. I'm in communities that have older people, and I don't know. I just have this burden to tell the story because I know 
that in my presence there's somebody hurting with this same story. It's not even a burden, it's a gift. Well, it's, um, it's actually okay, kind of right. fun. Yeah, right? it is. In a actually, weird way, yeah. like, it's kind of like, I have this thing, right. and I can't stand not sharing it. It is true. And, like, can you believe I used to be a heroin addict? Like, <laughs> well, it's, like, and, it's awkward still. And for people listening to this podcast, um, it might seem a little crazy that you hear us laughing and joking and, mm-hmm. and telling stories that were so difficult to live through. Yeah. Um, it's because we have made it through to the other side, other side, and we we know there's hope. We know there are answers. We know there there are resources. Um, it's yeah. I mean, it's kind of like somebody being cured from a disease, and and it is. It is. It is, it is, it is <laughs> the cured, same thing. Recovered, you're not it, cured from uh, right, I like. I like. I I think I like a new term. Reinvented. You reinvented your life. My perspective, my perception. Yeah. Not a psychic change. Yeah. Hmm. That's what you need to recover from addiction and alcoholism is you, you have to have a psychic change, which in the 12 steps and in that whole program, a spiritual experience is mandatory in order to get better from, from this. And that's what the 12 steps are for to have a spiritual experience. And in the index in the back of, of the whole program when you go reading about it, it says that the spirit, the definition of a spiritual experience is simply a psychic change, hmm. a perspective change. So reinventing your mind. Reinvention. I like that. Yeah, I do too. What, um, what now that, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm listening now and I am super overwhelmed and someone has come to me, what do I do now? What, what is my first step? You had the Google machine, um, others do too, but what is the right thing to, or is there a right thing? What would you recommend as the very first thing to do? <laughs> so I've, I've spoken with law, a lot of families all over the country. Um, I've met with a number of them. Um, I would say find somebody that's gone through this and open up, do it quickly find people that have been successful in it. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of resources. Um, you know, truth of the matter is your loved one is not going to be successful in rehab unless they want to go and be done with this. And correct, Chris. Yeah. Some people have change of hearts while they're there. I saw it when I worked at the rehab facility. Cause I was always like, my, my whole vision of it is like if someone didn't want to be there, I wouldn't tell them this, but I'd be like, there, you're not ready. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you don't want to be here if you're not going to put in the effort. And if you don't believe you're a real drug addict, not mm-hmm. alcoholic, like we talked about, and you think you're a heavy drinker or a heavy user, your mind's going to beat you every single time. Mm-hmm. But I have seen, I have seen people who didn't want to be there, who are there for like a month that like after a month, they come out of the fog and they're like, Oh my God, how did I get to this point? Hmm. Like I want to get better and they're still doing well. So education, there's so much, thankfully there's so much being written about it and and produced about it now because the epidemic has come to a head. Yeah. Actors and actresses are finally getting honest about it. And they're Mm -hmm. like, I've been sober for, you know, 25 years and people are Mm -hmm. like, and how do people not know about that? Mm -hmm. Right. And So I would say find somebody you can confide in, have a family discussion. (laughs) It's so hard to answer so quickly because 
everybody's journey is similar. The details just differ a little mm-hmm. bit. Yep. And and it is a journey. And you gotta look at it as a family journey. It may or may not have a good ending. There are no there's nothing guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Um I think Jacqueline, yeah, what is it that you always say to people that everybody has to be on board? Yeah. Can you share what you say about that? Do I, what do I say? Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, you, you're the one that originally, originally said it. It's just like, you have to come together. All the people that are the most important people in this person's life, you have to come together. You all have to be on the same page with, yeah. with look it. If we confront this, you know, first of all, an addict is dying. Yes. And if you enable it to keep going on, you're helping that person die. And if that person um, wants to get help, everyone's got to be on board. Right. Everybody has to be on board. And if you're all on board, you still have to understand there may be a bad ending. Yeah. But you have to be okay. That's what you that, said. Yes. Okay. So I'm falling out. You you have to get to the point as a family or friend that you're okay with either thing happening. You know you're doing everything you can for them, which yes. by human nature for any other disease means being by their side every second. Mm-hmm. In this case, it is I love you. And I'll keep repeating this. Show love. Help them get help but be firm to what right. I said before. So everyone has to have that mentality or it's not going to work. Right. It's got to be a, a, a unified uh, group around them. There can't be one mole that is enabling or it's not going to work. Which is usually mom. <laughs> and, and yeah. And then you have to get to the point, which is the craziest and hardest thing to do that you say they may die but I'm, I am okay with however this moves forward, knowing that I am not enabling, knowing that I am doing what I can to help as it relates to this disease, which is opposite of human beings. So I think for, um, to go back to the basic concept, if you are struggling right now, if a, if a loved one has come to you and said they're addicted, they are an alcoholic, um, we keep going back to the same thing, which is response is critical. Yes. So make sure they know that they have love, um, be firm in the fact that you understand and that you're going to help them. Um, and then seek help. And to your point, find somebody else that you know, that is going through this, that may seem overwhelming to some people because my immediate reaction might be, and like you, like you felt and like you experienced, I don't know anyone, um, but seek help. Um, we will we will share resources on our Instagram page. Yes, for um, the simplest kind of you know national places to reach out, which I think would be a, a good first step. Um, and just know that that is your immediate family. Right. I would say that is an immediate family you gain. You will immediately realize there are others that are also involved in this that you just didn't know about to your point, Chris, like you didn't know people that went through it, but you do, you just don't see them in plain sight until you, unfortunately, until you go through this. Uh, but you know, from what you did on your own, no one else should have to do that. So that's the point of this is we are talking about this. We will provide resources so that there is a first step and you feel comfortable and you're not going to Google and having to say, 
what in the world do I do right now? Right. And, and kind of guess at the, the keywords to use yeah. to hopefully get you to a place where you find a counselor. And luckily you did. And luckily you are amazing as, as always, and we're able to figure it out. But um, it seems like that is the easiest answer to the, what do I do now is show love, be stern, don't enable, find help. Mm-hmm. Right. And calm. Is that fair? For sure. Yeah. And calm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, I, that's probably the most confusing part, especially when you don't have any knowledge at all of the disease. You're scared. It's so scary. You're angry. You're scared. You're, 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 you're alone. You're alone. alone. I alone. felt you so alone. I chose to do that though, because I didn't, and that's just my personality. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to burden anybody else because there was so many things going on in everybody else's lives. So I, I had it, you know, um, but I put myself in a very lonely place. And I know people that are going through it, they're lonely, especially a lot of moms. They don't want, you know, you're talking about all your kids that are so great. They're getting into these great schools. They have these great accomplishments and everything. And all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden, it could be it could be a shining star in your home, uh, an a- academically or sports-wise, whatever it is, all of a sudden the bottom falls out and this person is not that person in, in your mind and people, what, this is what you're thinking that yeah. people aren't going to see them ever right. again like that. Yeah. But this disease doesn't discriminate. Like pretty much every other disease doesn't discriminate. Right. Um, so it's, it's really important. You know, um, one of the things that I say to a lot of moms, especially is because women are caretakers by nature, we want to coddle, take care, feed, clothe, make sure that our loved ones fall in a safe, warm place. Enabling, actually, it's it's counterintuitive. What we need to do as, as women is counterintuitive to what we want to do. We have to let them get to a hopeless state on their own, but with with, with our help by not enabling. Right. That's that's the most confusing part mm-hmm. because, you know, <laughs> remember the day that we kicked you out of the house and you spent the night down at the at the I don't know, even know where you were. You said you were down on the picnic tables at the boathouse or something or down on the at the lake and you came walking back and I was down there for a while. Yeah. You spent the night. Did I? Yeah. I don't remember that. You, yeah, that was the hardest thing. The hardest thing. And again, we're, we're jumping over years here. And, and Chris went through three rehabs before he finally walked out um, sober. So 10 years ago when we were going through this, um, I learned that I couldn't enable. And you, you had stolen $40 from dad pretty much right in front of his eyes. I remember that. He was pretending he was asleep and you went in and took his $40 and – we said, you can't do that. You're, you're done. You can't stay here anymore. And that was after your first rehab. Mm. And um, the sad, the most heartbreaking scene was walking you, watching you walk up our driveway to the end of the driveway with an unfolded um, sleeping bag, your skateboard, a backpack filled with some things. And then you went by the car that we had been letting you use and you smashed your hand on it 
and we didn't know where you were going. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what you would do. We mm-hmm. it was so scary, but we knew deep down we had to do it. And he ended up spending the night did a, a lake down the street, and there was like a little boathouse with a little pavilion that he ended up sleeping on the. I think you said sleeping on the. Um, what do you call it? The picnic table. I don't even remember that. It's crazy. So he showed up the next day, came walking down the same driveway without his stuff and uh, went to the door and dad came running in. You know, remember the way that house was set up. His office was right outside that first door. And he said, oh, my gosh, Chris is coming down. the is at the door. What do we do? And I said, well, we let him in but you said he can't be here. <laughs> like, you know? And I, so he came, you came to the back door, near the, you know, from off the, the main room there in the house. And you had your arms up. He said, you said, let me in. And I said, okay. And you started to walk towards your, your bedroom. The other way would have been the main part of the house, but you started walking by your bedroom to, towards your bedroom. And I said, uh-uh, that's not your bedroom anymore. And you looked at me and said, what am I supposed to do? And I said, if you want a sandwich and you want a little visit, sit at the kitchen table. But you're not staying here tonight, and that is not your bedroom anymore. Mm. How hard was that to do? Not as hard as I thought it was going to be. Because we had, you know, there's so many stories, I guess, that will come out during these podcasts, and these are a little disjointed here, but... I think I finally was convicted in that that was the only way I, he was going to get help. And I knew if he stole from us, he was probably using again. Mm-hmm. And I, in fact, the next thing that happened, as I remember, was you called a friend down off of Regency Parkway there. And you were going to spend the night with him. <laughs> I have to laugh at this one because now I'm just fooling. I just said I was starting my my journey to enablement, but I said, okay, I will drive you down there. And here, here's a frozen packet of food. If you're going to have dinner with them, at least bring some food to this person. Bring house. a gift. Bring them some food. You know, that's, you know, I mean, whatever. But I did. I dropped him off um, right down in that neighborhood. And I remember you saying to me, going there and you had said this a few times through the journey I hate my life I wish I was never been born Mm. I just want to kill myself and I said don't you ever say that to me your mother again don't you ever as one of the only times I got mad at him and I said, you will never, ever say that to me again. Mm, Not me. me. I was so mad at him Mm -hmm. for going there because I also knew it was manipulation. Mm -hmm. I knew that that was his way of trying to get me soft again. And how dare he take that precious moment of me bringing him into this life and my joy of that life. And he was not going to take, do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. How did you, at what point did you, so let me compose myself. He goes to rehab 
and there's a very initial education and you're just learning about all this. Yeah. It takes a while to get comfortable with it to yeah. your point. At what point did you feel like you had control and fully understood? <laughs> Was it that moment or because I've got to, like, I admit to, I came from a place of, and I said this before, pretty much judging addiction before this, not having any knowledge going through this. Um, learning about it. And it's, I'm still learning about it. I feel like I probably had control after the third time, after the detox, the third detox into Texas. That's probably when I felt like, no, I'm going to continue to be strong. When did you feel the conviction that you had control of what you were supposed to do in the disease? I think that moment that yeah. that day he came and we kicked him out. It was gut wrenching. But when he came back, I was amazingly and I will say amazingly strong because I couldn't believe I was amazingly strong. <laughs> um, I could cave at anything, but I just felt it was I had to we had to follow through. Follow through mm-hmm. is huge. Yeah. And, and it's like you when for any parent as you're raising your kids follow through is everything in every lesson. And I can't say I followed through on a lot of things of lessons that I wish I had looking back at it now, but in this particular case, I wasn't going to miss that opportunity again. Mm-hmm. And if anybody has a family member that goes to rehab, please, please get at least mom and dad, if not everybody on board with the programs they have that go in along with what they're trying to help the addict with. Um, we went to a four day intensive program. We had to pay for it. It's not real super expensive, but the lessons were invaluable. Um, they really break you apart too, to see what your role might be in this. And it's not about guilt. This is not about guilt, which is where you you go very quickly. Um, it's, it's, it's nothing. We're trying to move forward from this point and try to get everybody healed. It's a family disease and it affects everybody. Um, and so I, I, we learned, we had homework. We were in the, in the hotel. We had homework that we had to do together as a couple and, 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 quietly, things that we've shared in our small groups, things that we shared with Chris. That is where I really, really started learning. And, you know, that being said, he was strong. He looked good. But the one thing that we said, okay, now we got it. We got this. Okay. It's almost Thanksgiving. Our boy's coming Four days home. In, you got this. You know, <laughs> he did his 30 days. He gave his great speech. And the counselor said he needs to go to a halfway house or a gateway house. Mm-hmm. And Chris was saying, I got this. I want to go home. And he said, well, if he's got this, we can go home. Like, we'll put a lock on the bar. We'll mm-hmm. we'll do all these <laughs> things. The like, you know, like. You did put a lock I on the bar. I did put a lock on the bar. And so um, against the counselor's better judgment, um, we let him come home. And he was using within a few weeks. But we did. Okay. No. <laughs> See, I thought it was a few weeks. Well, I was smoking weed within a few days. So. Well, so um, that was a hard lesson. Again, a lesson that I didn't have anybody to compare it to. I didn't have, mm-hmm. I didn't really have anything to read. There, are, there's a lot of good resources just on Facebook. There are there are mm-hmm. groups um, 
of people sharing stories. There's phenomenal authors that are out there sharing. Um, so, so it wasn't, so I, that was my beginning of my journey, getting strong with enablement. Um, the next, the next time it happened, he went out, he was out. That's when we, that's when we that's sent when him out. Sent, yeah. That, and so then, that was after the first. So he out. was gone for, I don't know how long months. I mean, he got jobs. Yes. I bought him clothes for, for, <laughs> for waiting, waiting, um, waitering shoes. Bus boy. Bu- boy stole, mm-hmm. stole money. And so like, I, got, I mean, he, he got different jobs and then he just went from house to house and mm-hmm. friends to friends and, you know, and, um, slept on so many. Couches. Yeah. And then, then he, so we never did let him back in the house to sleep, he, mm-hmm. you know, until the he went back, he he asked to come home, and then he asked to go to um, rehab again. He said he called himself. He, he I think you heard the story. He called a bed in for himself, and that wasn't until that time that I found out he was a heroin addict, mm-hmm. and we thought it was his first time. Mm. So there goes a year and a half goes by, and it happened to be a friend's parent that told us who who actually was an alcoholic himself and I didn't want him to live there um but he had to make the choices and I wasn't going to control where he was going anymore Mm -hmm. um and uh this young this man's son was out of prison and was an ex-addict and I didn't know he was there Mm -hmm. and evidently they had a nice party night and did mm-hmm. some heroin and the guy. No, I was shooting up coke. Oh, you were shooting up coke. Well, I was by myself in a room the whole night. And then the sun came up and I was like, I hate yeah. my life. Well, the dad said, Oh, I went to get your hockey bag after you were in rehab. That's what it was. You told me your, your precious hockey bag was there. Yeah. And so dad and I yeah, went I and, and he said, <laughs> dad said, Oh yeah, they were really messed up last night. Their eyes were rolling in the back of their head. And I, and from shooting, shooting heroin, and I, and I didn't, I was speechless. Dad was speechless. We said goodbye. We got in the car and we looked at each other and went, this is really getting bad. Yeah. Well, you found burnt spoons in my room. Oh, that's another uh, funny story. Before the first time I ever went to treatment. That's mean, yeah. And you asked me about them and, and I was like, no, that was my dealer. Like he, he did, he did. We Heroin. pretended we were detectives when we went to your party. We, <laughs> we found a lot. That was a very colorful day. We found a lot of things. We speculated about a lot of things, some of which probably weren't anything. We just didn't know what to think. We were stealth. Yes. We <laughs> were warriors. We were going to find the people that did this to our Poor brother and yes. son. Yeah, yes. they did. We did. Yeah. We, that's how, that was, do you remember? I went through his phone records. I found, we listened to those voicemails from all those Very dealers. Mm-hmm. We were trying to find out who they were. We were going to blow the whistle on them. And I know there's other parents out there that I've talked to that have said the same thing. We're going to find out who did this and we're going to have them arrested. Well, here's the, here's the story, everybody. Pretty much everybody that does drugs probably deals drugs because your inner circle, is this correct? Your inner circle kind of takes care of you. you like- I mean, 
you not on a big level. No, yeah, like users will sometimes try to buy a bundle of heroin, which is like ten bags of heroin, ten point one small bags of heroin, and try to sell five of them and do the other five for free with the money mm-hmm. they made. So do yeah, you- I mean, I've sold heroin to my friends, friends. but it's that like, was just to try to get like one bag for yeah. free like <laughs> scraping right. by right. yeah mm-hmm. so so we went through a lot of um time and emotions and, and strength to try to find these horrible people um <laughs> then we went to his apartment and cleaned it out and found some stuff and still being very naive well if we're going to be honest too yes yeah. i mean if we want to be very honest like all these parents, when they find out, it's what we were talking earlier about how when when you find out someone's a drug addict and you don't look at them as the same as an alcoholic because mm-hmm. they're whatever. Right. It's it's really interesting because I'll tell somebody that I did heroin, and they'll be like, "You did heroin," yeah. and I'll be like, "Yeah, I did a lot of oxycontin too," and they're like, "Yeah, but you did heroin," yeah, and I'll be yeah. like. Oh, by the way, Oxycontin is stronger than a lot of the heroin I was doing. And then also, like, I'd be like, yeah, I've also also smoked crack twice. And people are like, you've smoked crack? And I'm like, I was shooting up cocaine. Like, like, do you understand how much worse? No, people don't understand. In in my mind, that is than that. People don't understand. And and all of it is the exact same thing. You know, like, it's, it's no matter whether you're snorting it, shooting it, the only thing about shooting it is, is like, man, you got a better chance of, of dying quicker and better chance of, if you're not careful, getting diseases, you know? And it's like, it, all of it is the exact same thing. And the bottom line is you are using something to experience an, uh, an effect produced to f- solve a spiritual malady that you have with inside mm-hmm. of you. That is the whole, if you remove the emotion and the opinions that you have towards what drugs are. The bottom line is that some people huff paint, some people do whippets, which is is nitrous. They 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 suck nitrous out of a balloon, and it it you know whatever basically <laughs> knocks you out for fifteen seconds. Mm-hmm. It's it's all the same thing from that to you know, and that's why when people meet me, if they are popping pills and taking five milligram Percocets or whatever, and, and they're like, yeah, I've been doing it for a year and I can't stop doing it. I'm very clear to be like, look, I used to do heroin, but that's the exact same thing as what you are doing right now. If you feel like you have lost the power of choice and picking it up when mm-hmm. you are away from it, that is what qualifies you. Yeah. Not what drug you were doing. Um, so it's, it's, it doesn't matter the drug. I've told doesn't. parents that they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, does it matter? It's, it's all good. It's all, it's all going into the body and it's all, it doesn't really matter. Well, well yeah. My, and my point was it's, you know, if, if parents feel like they need to go chase down heroin addicts, why don't they go chase down pharmaceutical companies? Well, that's yeah. happening because, now. Well, yeah. exactly. Pharmaceutical companies is, is you know, if we want to have another discussion about that, that a whole nother podcast. one of the main reasons why opiates <laughs> is such a big epidemic. Yeah. Yeah. People it, are giving those things out like Skittles. Yeah. And that's what people get hooked on. And then all of a sudden they can't get any more from the pharmacy. So where do you go? Right. right. It's really interesting that the, like, all it doesn't matter the drug like you even said earlier when you found out he was doing heroin to your point exactly you said 
oh no, this is right. getting really this bad. Is getting like, bad. This is yeah. already well, this is, really and bad. It's also, and it's it also goes back to the part of the story I said that he he told me, but he gave me, I thought he was telling me the whole truth. He gave me 10% of what I, what, what he really was doing. And that's uh, when I meet with parents, that's the other thing is like, oh, you know, that's what he's told you or that's what she's told you. But it's, it's way probably way bigger than yeah. that. And I just want you to re- understand that. And it's, you yeah. know, and they're like, they're like glass eyed yeah. on, on me. Yeah. I still feel like we probably only know half of well, her I've story. Learned a, I've learned a few things from him tonight. Yeah. I, I, it's like, I still, that's why I'm fascinated about continuing to learn. Cause I still don't feel like we're, right. I don't feel like we'll ever get to the point where we'll know everything. Um, and it's, it's really, there's a it, lot. Yeah. And it, and it's, but you're right. Don't, don't diminish one drug because you think it's better than another drug. It's not, it's the same thing. So what do you feel like you learned the most information as it related to you becoming knowledgeable about addiction? Where? Yeah. Like what, what was the source? Was it the combination of everything? Was it starting at that rehab facility and getting the help from them and just continuing to be curious? What is, I think that four day class was vital to Chris being alive right now. Um, dad and I were immersed in this class. It was, it was private time. It was group time. It was counselor time with just us. It was counselor time with just with Chris. Um, we learned they do movies, they do role playing, they do. Um, I mean, there's so much we learned about just about the brain and the biology of, mm-hmm. of it. Um, one of the things that was the most simplest things I had always asked the question, why is the drinking age 21? Yeah. And then they switched it when I was a kid to 18 and then they switched it back years later. But my question is, why is it? Why is it the magic number? Because you become an adult at 21 mm-hmm. is what I w- always thought. There's really a biological reason. The, the last part of the human brain to form is the decision-making part. So in, in many cases, that doesn't happen until the mid-20s, and especially now in this generation, more so with boys and girls. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, everybody says like, oh, yeah, but, you know, why did they pick up that? Well, why did we do anything that pushed the limit as a kid or a teenager? Well, Because you feel invincible. You don't understand because your brain hasn't developed yet. Right. In not only are you making bad decisions because your brain hasn't developed yet, but once you start doing drugs, drugs and alcohol on a regular basis, it stunts, it stunts your brain growth. Mm-hmm. And... I'm here to tell you, I witnessed Chris's brain change from a an, an addiction brain to a, a, almost 18 months later it took to have a normal, his brain caught up, healed. Luckily, they do heal. Mm-hmm. And, and it caught up and I could see the metamorphosis. Yeah. His eyes, his attitude, his his. ADD brain wasn't so ADD anymore. All of a sudden it's like these, you know, the first time I saw him after nine months of not seeing him when he was in Texas, he came back and he spoke and he spoke like a 
preacher on fire without a note card for an hour straight. And I was blown away at what this man was becoming. Yeah. I had never seen that side of him. That's really important too. And that's something that we will dedicate a full episode to is we want to get the medical side of it on here and talk about everything that happens. Because to your point, once you know that it it becomes so much easier because you truly can accept. And I think it's the hardest thing to accept because it's really hard to understand. You truly then accept the fact that it is mental illness and it is in your brain and it is not your choice and all of that. So I think it's really helpful to hear that from you, that once you started to hear those facts and wrap your head around the fact that it was in your brain, uh, then, then you start saying, okay, I can deal with this because I know it's not his fault and I, I'm understanding it. More. Right. So we definitely, we will definitely get to that. I think yeah. more so, and, and would love to hear from um, medical professionals on, oh, on that would be great. you know, the, the detail behind that. Um, but I think this has been awesome. Thank you for coming. First time you did awesome. It's great. <laughs> it's thrilling. Um, and, and we'll definitely, I mean, this isn't going to be the end. I would love to eventually open this up to um, be able to answer questions live and, yeah. and have people kind of chime in and ask, you know, what, what they're going through specifically so that right. we can all answer as, as one unit um, right. with all our perspectives. But um, thank you for being ruthless in <laughs> the way that you approached uh, this addiction and being open to learning because we may not, I know we wouldn't be sitting here if you, if you hadn't taken the lead on that. So thank you for representing us and kickstarting me into the world. I wasn't going to let it Absolutely. go out. <laughs> not before oh, me. I know. <laughs>